Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey everybody, Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with our great host, Steve Krupa. Hey, Steve. How you doing, Tom? Good. How's that show, that show, shoe phone uh, smelling there, Steve? I don't know. How do I sound? Do I sound natural? <laughs> do I sound, have a natural sound to my voice here? You sound like the, the, the important man on the go that you always are, so we're uh, happy you can take a, a precious few minutes with us. And uh, but it, you got a really cool interview here. Not that they're all they're all fabulous, of course. But this one is a, a great yeah. one with uh, Achille Interactive, which uh, I'll let you get into what they do. But as a as a dad of a kid with uh, some attention issues, uh, this is sem- definitely something to watch. So you spoke with Eddie Martucci from Achille. Yeah, give us a lowdown. Well, you know Eddie's name sounds like he was like the kid in the neighborhood that used to like want to beat me up every day, <laughs> but. Uh, Actually, he's like this brilliant uh, neuroscientist. So, <laughs> <laughs> who still might want to beat um, you up? It doesn't mean he doesn't. He still might want to beat you up at that comment, but you know, Eddie Martucci from the neighborhood. Yeah, um, and 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 this is a cool interview. I mean, this is all about the brain, right? So, anytime you get to talk about the brain or come up with a, a greater understanding of how the brain works and what its function is, uh, it's always interesting to me because I, you know, in the era of of you know computer science where we're spending a lot of time imagining machines that act like the human brain it's always interesting to realize that they're nowhere close to the power of the brain and and what how it works and eddie is uh you know trying to use those computers uh to create uh, environments in which he can begin to work on issues uh brain issues and uh um he's doing that through um specifically targeted interactions in video games, uh, with the purpose of either being able to impact a neurological issue or to diagnose a neurological issue, and um, he gives us a lot to think about. Uh, no pun intended, when he starts to, to talk about how the brain operates um, in different disease states and what can be done to uh, reverse, you know, some of that uh, dysfunction and uh, improve uh, the brain. And obviously, as you mentioned, uh, the, one of the one of the cool applications he's working on is is, is uh, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Now it's I mean, with all the fidget spinners and everything going on, there's there's obviously a lot more attention being paid to this, and it's something that uh, I don't think we'll have to have that conversation about. But it's it's great to see technologies like these sort of uh, potentially coming into play and, and giving parents and, and uh, doctors some more options going down the road. So. Well, any any option, frankly, you know, that that's non-medicinal is interesting to me. You know, if you're you're able to avoid medication for you know any any sort of neurological um, issues, I think that's worth worthwhile. And you know, we're beginning to see that these companies are creating the ability to um, to do something about that. All right. Well, let's get into this uh, this interview with Eddie Martucci of Achille Interactive. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Eddie Martucci from Achille Interactive. Welcome to the podcast, Eddie. Hey, thanks, Steve. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I, we touched on uh, your company, uh, wow, maybe maybe 25 or so podcasts ago. 
with Daphne at Pure Pure Tech. Um, but it was my guess is it was probably sufficient sufficiently long enough where we could use a a refresh on on sort of the foundation of it. But before we get into that, um, tell me about your background and what motivated you to start this company. Sure, uh, happy to. So I'm trained as actually a, a traditional drug discoverer. Um, so I have a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics from Yale, um, and I I did work in graduate school that was really aimed at um, trying to develop new drugs, but using known techniques, so en- structural enzymology and structural um, biochemistry and biophysics that allow you to expose new uh, active sites and proteins or non-active sites and proteins and hit them with small molecules, things like that. Um, and I love that work, um, but I got very interested in grad school um, in the translational side of science and, and specifically startups. Um, so I kind of really early on realized as much as I loved research that that wasn't where I was going to go long term. Uh, had was fortunate enough to interact with a few um, scientists uh, come business co-founders, um, which, which intrigued me even more. And uh, coming right out of grad school, um, I actually joined the PureTech family here in Boston um, and, and got an opportunity right away then to translate into starting to build companies. Um, so really exciting and, and very early point in my career um, that I got to see the the sort of concept to business um, happening multiple times. Um, so uh, my interest aligned with a pretty cool opportunity. Um, and then specific to Achilles, which we can get into, um, there was a lot of industry factors around neuroscience and not a ton happening in, in sort of the innovative side of neuroscience um, combined with, right. quite frankly, uh, the pharma industry pulling out of neuroscience that, um, that led, to, uh, led to us to say, let's apply this, this innovative uh, way to start companies and technologies and, and, and try to go after the brain. Yeah. So, so for better or for worse, uh, and I'll let you be the judge on this, I have a lot of friends that are psychiatrists. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because I you know, hang out with them on the couch. They're like buddies here in New York City. And and so, so they make the following statement, and I'd be curious about sort of your point of view on this. I mean, the, the and these are older guys, so they're probably in their sixties or seventies, and they, they they would say, from the time that they got into psychiatry through today, the drug industry has had a significant m- impact on the quality of life of people who have uh, you know permanent psychiatric disorders. Would you would you agree with that statement? Not a hundred percent agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, some of the early um, antidepressants, antipsychotics were revolutionary, right? It was actually, right. it's strange for us to think about today because we do use drugs to treat mental health. Um, it's strange for us to think that that was not a paradigm, but it wasn't, right? Back back decades ago, um, we, we didn't use pharmacology. We thought that it was more of a, a um, you know, smack the brain and, and it should right. snap out of it. Jolt it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in some ways actually jolt it with right. electricity. Right. Um, and so now drug, the drug industry made huge improvements and has fundamentally changed quality of life for millions of people. Um, our stance is therefore not that it's not that drugs are, uh, inadequate or, or bad by any means. They've been great. It's that the drug industry and, and going after, um, pharmacological targets in the brain is really only half the story. So we've also known throughout all those decades that what the brain's doing at a functional level is this functional coordination of circuits in a millisecond by millisecond basis. Um, and that's not directly tapped into through 
receptor-based pharmacology, but you can tap into that, we believe, um, through sensory environments. And mm-hmm. so that's how we got into um, our take on digital medicine. Yeah, I want to go. I want definitely want to go down that path with you. But I, I want to understand. Do you think that we've sort of, at some level, run out of good, you know, biological approaches to uh, behavioral health at this stage that we've sort of gotten to the point where we're only perfecting uh, already established uh, pharmacological concepts, or is there a breakthrough uh, in, in you know in the future that we're just not seeing today? I don't think it's fair to say we we're totally dead or have run out. I think it's it's absolutely fair to say the number of new targets is diminishing. Um, That's pretty sure. Uh, The number of effective compounds tend to be relegated to known mechanisms Mm -hmm. over the last decade or two. Um, So it's certainly getting harder. Um, I I don't know if I can judge if it's over or not. And I would anticipate and hope that new receptor targets, new um, biochemical mechanisms continue to come forward, um, but that we can also look for new mechanisms in different ways. Cool. So let's get into Achilles. You you want to use um, some form of interactions, behavioral interactions, to sort of I, I'm going to put it in a, in, a, in a layman's way to sort of re- retrain the circuitries of the brain to to act in a more efficient or a more productive manner. Um, is that a, is that a fair assessment of what your science is attempting to to, to accomplish? Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty close. Um, I think the big difference and the important thing to to note there is that. Um, there have been a lot of approaches maybe over the last half or, or full decade in digital that are about um, sort of people might call them behavior modification mm-hmm. uh, or retraining the person at a kind of conscious macro level, right? The types of decisions they're making, um, the types of routines you can get into. And those have been pretty successful, right? In areas like diabetes and, and uh, weight management and addiction and other disorders. Sure. Um, uh, we think there's another sort of maturing component here. Um, which is that instead of doing that at the macro level, kind of at the millisecond by millisecond neurological functional level, right, how these networks are adaptive or talk to each other can be directly stimulated um, through sensory impact. So um, I could get into that specifically with our technology, but the point being um, digital interaction can actually be therapeutically active, right, Mm -hmm. not just sort of teaching someone new behaviors, but instead... Um, specifically changing or enhancing um, how the brain functions on that moment-by-moment basis so that behaviors and symptoms um, sort of can naturally become plastic or change over time. Um, and and that's, that's the, the sort of meta-conceptual construct that we work under. Okay. So let me, let me offer you a contrast and maybe you can run with it or feel free to fire it, shoot it down if it makes no sense. But um, you know, we had a company called Pair Therapeutics on uh, – you know, a while back, and what they've done is they've devised a sort of you know gaming technology to to influence people that have um, <clears throat> substance abuse disorder, you know, marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, and so forth. And uh, they've actually gotten you know uh, an FDA label for it. And the the notion is is that they're going to take these sort of um, anti patterns that produce uh, addiction and use them to, to in in favor of um, restraint, right? So the same sort of uh, cognitive uh, workings that cause people to, to pursue that next drink or whatever they're going to use to reinforce um, restraint. And it seems to work. Um, that seems to be to be an example of the macro type of behavioral yes, change modification. I agree. 
Um, so take that as sort of a, as, as an example, uh, and and tell me how what what Achille is doing is is different uh, in a, in, a, in practice from something like that. Sure, sure, yeah, and I, it's a good example, and I know the pair guys quite well. Um, there's there's not too many people in the digital ecosystem who are going down the real medical path. Right. So uh, as, as you can right. imagine, you guys are a small crowd, at least for now. We're right? a small crowd, but growing, which is yeah. a good thing. We're seeing yeah. a lot of growth. Um, yeah, so so it's a good contrast. So I agree. That's that's more at the macro level, talking about um, yeah taking certain key points in the behavior and trying to shift them. Um, so maybe if I describe a level deeper about uh, one of our technology platforms, it will it will help. Um, so we licensed the technology out of UCSF, the lab of uh, Dr. Adam Ghazali. Um, he's sort of seen all over the world. He has a, a bestseller out now called The Distracted Mind. So his his name pops up here and there. But he had discovered. Um, a specific way to activate the prefrontal cortex of the brain, so that that very human part of the brain, the very front part, midline that uh, controls attention and impulsivity and the ability to allocate our resources, um, that system uh, actually happens on a moment-by-moment basis. So to walk you through it, um, if something pops up in your environment or I say something, you, you have a filter that you're const- you're, the front of your brain is constantly monitoring that millisecond by millisecond to understand if it's relevant, categorize it, and then decide how to act on it. You're not making a, as much a conscious decision, right? After seconds or, or minutes, you're making conscious decisions on where to take it. But at the millisecond level, you're constantly trying to uh, uh, implicitly monitor what's coming into your environment. And so you have these, you can see it in neural scans. The brain is flashing and different parts of the brain are coordinated and flashing, trying to deal with incoming information. Um, what the technology that came out of his lab that we exclusively licensed and now develop into our products uh, essentially makes an individual um, put strain on that system on a millisecond by millisecond basis to a way it normally doesn't have to by combining different domain, so multitasking at a really high level. Um, so we have adaptive proprietary algorithms that make someone do a driving, you know, fine motor test at the same time that they're making decisions, at the same time that they're reacting and tapping things on their screen. Um, it puts that front part of the brain, that filter, what we call interference processing, um, it puts it at an extreme stress. What happens over long periods of time as you're exposed to environments like that, at least what we've seen in our research, is that Again, at that millisecond subconscious level, the brain becomes much better at um, efficiently coding that incoming information. So hmm. now, uh, and, and we actually just had a paper published with our technology um, in PLOS One about two weeks ago, um, uh, so the end of April, um, that shows this in children. So a lot of children that have attentional disorders, when a stimulus comes up to them, you know, so think about this like something flashing in their environment or if you want to make the analogy, a teacher says something in class, um, it's, it's worrisome that when you look at children, for instance, with ADHD, that front part of their brain really doesn't light up all that much, actually. And, and so this is newer research coming out. Mm. Um, what we see after a month of using our treatment is that uh, when you flash a stimulus to this ADHD child now, the front part of their brain comes online within about uh, 150 to 200 milliseconds and now starts to look a lot more like what someone who doesn't have intentional impairments does. Immediate activation, immediate um, efficient treatment of incoming information. So that's what we do. So when we say therapeutically active, we're not teaching an ADHD child to 
um, plan their day or to think about what's weak in their in their planning process and focus on it. We're literally talking about the millisecond based uh, categorization of information in their environment. So it's it's pretty you know five years ago when we thought about this, it's pretty crazy, right? right. To think about that you could do that um, because all sensory stimulus activates the brain, but. In this case, um, uh, it, we can do it repeatedly, uh, we believe, and, and we've gone through trials to show that. So um, I'm rambling there, but hopefully no, that no. gives a good analogy. No. And then what we do that is similar to you mentioned, one of our key pieces is because we're dealing entirely in second-by-second second or millisecond-by-millisecond millisecond sensory stimulation, um, the perfect vehicle for us to distribute our treatments or our uh, screens or monitor products is in video gaming environments. So we build fast-paced action video games because we can code in these very special ways to um, stimulate, but it feels natural because it's coming in a rich video gaming environment. All right. So that was a lot there, man. So I got I to I <laughs> come at you with a couple of questions. So, Do it. All right. The, f- the first question that I would ask you is, is, is it, it seems to me that, that the, the, the sort of opening of that, it, talking about attention deficit disorder or – uh, it you know has it, it is the statement that that is some sort of a, uh, a a a ailment that you can treat through this technique. What is the origin of that ailment? Is it genetic? Is it environmental? Do we know? And uh, because it seems like it might be environmental, just based on your 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 ability to treat it in the way you're describing. Uh, like most disorders that we recognize now, brain and otherwise, it's probably a combination. There's okay. pretty good evidence for a lot of things. Um, the importance with us is that we're not, uh, the, the source of it doesn't matter for us, right? We're not right. trying to target um, the initial cause. What we're trying to do is target what's the current functional dysregulation mm-hmm. um, and fix that. Right. And it's funny because as you were describing, I mean, and just give you what was going on in my millisecond by millisecond to sort of brain while you were describing this to me, was as you were describing sort of this, uh, I would describe density of, of, of stimulus that you're trying to make it dense and, 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 and drive, drive that brain activity to a higher level. The first thing that came to mind was warfare. Isn't that weird that I thought of that? <laughs> but I, I, I thought to myself, wow, I mean, that sounds like somebody who's like, you know, in in a, in a position where they're trying to survive, right? Where you're really hyper aware and you're taking in all of that information. And it drove me to the following thought, which was, I would imagine the context of the stimulus might have an impact on the neurological effect. That is to say, warfare we know does not have necessarily a good neurological effect on on many people. Mm-hmm. And so, does the, what does the stimulus have to be about in order for this to be effective? That question makes sense. Um, and by the yeah, way, refute what I just said about warfare. If you don't think it's correct, then uh, no. I mean, I like that you went there, not because I I want to support going down that path on this podcast, but, right? Uh, because because your point is actually that this type of function is very central to humans, right? And that's right. that's an important point. We target across our um, technologies and our products. We're trying to target things that are very innately human that tend to be dysregulated in certain patients or certain environments. I don't think it's crazy to think about technologies like this going after um, uh, going after healthy people in a workplace environment or uh, in warfare. Our technologies are specifically designed around the weaknesses that are really central to disease mm-hmm. um, and then taking those through clinical trials in the FDA. So we're not selling product, we're, and we're really focusing on healthcare, FDA-prescribed medicine. Right. Um, and so we're, we're, we select technologies and then develop them in a way that 
Um, there might presumably be a little bit of benefit in some other populations, um, but there's going to be robust benefit as long as we can uh, demonstrate it in people that have a, a neurological dysfunction. Um, that said, I think that uh, that the context, so to answer the second part of your question, the context of the um, of the stimulus uh, certainly can have an effect. So um, we're actually doing research now in a program that's, that's a little bit um, stealthy or under wraps, but that has to do with emotional valence, um, right? So how, you know, how does something, if it's coded as really negative or abrasive to you versus something positive affect that? And there's a lot of research that shows that people will process or even sometimes um, uh, ignore certain types of emotional valence, not even meaning to. Um, so there's definitely, there's some truth to what you're saying. Um, how we perceive our environment is very important. Um, we don't have the answer or golden bullet to that. What we do is we build and we build the gaming environments that we think are relatively neutral, relatively fun and engaging, um, that don't get too deep into that, uh, that type of conundrum. So we're not building, you know, crazy intense shooter games. We're not building, um, you know, Care Bear, Stars in the Eye, happy games. We're building nice, neutral, positive, fun games um, so that we can we can try to vet out in our clinical trials how much that stimulus alone is doing without confounding it with a bunch of other stuff, if that cool. makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, my, my analogy to Warfare was just sort of like if you're in in that sort of environment, you're getting, you know, fed a lot of important stuff at, at yeah. a very high rate. And the game, the, you know, I'm, I've never been a gamer, so I mean, I've really got to sort of put that into context in, in my mind. So why don't we go through, t tell me about um, the products that you have under development, the products that you're sort of working on. Uh, it sounds like you've got an ADHD uh, product um, and, and, you know, how those products actually work to, you know, to cause the effect that, um, that, you're, that you're intending. Sure. Uh, so we, we have a, a pretty deep pipeline of, of a number of products. We have three general types of products. It's important to to put that out, we've been talking mostly about our treatments, right. and that's um, that's the line of our business that we're most well known for, um, because it's it's obviously there's a big need for it, right? Non pharmacological treatments. So we have treatments, which are these therapeutically active stimulus um, uh, medical device video games that we're developing. Um, we then have screens, and what screens are are very short versions, and not the algorithms to treat someone, but just the part of our algorithms that um, very quickly understand someone's cognitive function. So we stimulate, we see how you respond, and within the course of just a few minutes, um, we get a pretty good picture of your cognitive function, depending on, on what uh, mechanics we're using. We also do those in gaming environments, um, because as, as you probably know, if you've ever been in a psychological study, um, most of the time people are barely paying attention to cognitive tests. Um, they're not all that sensitive. Uh, one of our Advisor says he feels like he's paying people more to like stay awake than to actually engage in the test. Right. So uh, we think gaming is very important for, for all of our products, including those screens. So that is kind of like a, a risk stratification um, uh, as, a, as a quick snapshot of someone's brain and neurological function. And then we have monitors. And monitors, are you can think about as our screens, but that are done repeatedly. Um, and so we're, we're researching the use case for those. For instance, someone... Uh, right now we have no tools in our world that would allow us to see someone's brain function, let's say every single week, right, for a year or every single day for four weeks, you know, when you start a drug therapy or whatever. So right. uh, there's there's a big need in all these. Um, the 
if I go through each of those really quickly in terms of the stage, um, our treatment products are pretty far along uh, the medical device route. We're in a phase three trial in pediatric ADHD. Um, that uh, that trial is looking to finish up hopefully uh, end of this year, early next year. Uh, that was done in collaboration with FDA, so we've been working with them for a few years, the medical device arm, to design the right types of trials with the right types of endpoints. Um, and so that is a registration-enabling trial. So if that comes out positive, as we've seen in our, our previous trials, um, then we'll be going directly to FDA and uh, and looking for a, a label claim and go to market in ADHD. We also have earlier treatment programs uh, in kind of phase one, phase two trials in depression, multiple sclerosis, and Parkinson's. Um, that's our treatments. In screening, um, our most advanced product is in Alzheimer's um, and specifically earlier asymptomatic Alzheimer's. So we've had a multi-year collaboration with Pfizer um, where we were looking at people who have no symptoms but do have uh, plaques developing in their brain. So they're starting to have the early biomarkers of Alzheimer's. And we've, um, we've done a research program to see if our digital screen, um, so just playing the game, can give us a proxy for those people who actually have uh, neurological burden, which right now will cost you $10,000 in a PET scan to figure out. Um, and it looks like we have we have some pretty good signal there. So those results were presented this year. So we're developing that program. And then in monitoring, we're testing in a lot of areas, uh, multiple sclerosis, PTSD, depression, to see what is it, what is the utility of tracking someone's cognition long term? Not like a Fitbit, but more like um, a Fitbit for medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's, you know, relevant neurological signals um, across across time, um, because again, we don't do that today. So I can dive in on any one of those that sure. you want. There's there's big medical needs in all of them. Yeah, no, sure. Um, so let me let me ask you a couple. Questions. So if you were able to to do you do you imagine that the same treatment or the that you, that the gaming treatment that you're using for ADHD can do you think that can apply to things like um, PTSD to Alzheimer's that, that you can create that same level of therapy once you're able to detect them through your screening processes? Um, maybe. And, and I think we, we think of the brain specifically in mental health and behavioral health um, as not 100% different in all of these conditions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shared functional deficits and shared um, symptomology. So what we look to do, the technologies we develop are things that we think can be applicable across a number of diseases. It's just a, a smart business move, I think, yeah, and it's sure. also um, and it's also smart for patients, right, because it gives us multiple shots in, in multiple uh, to help multiple patient populations. Um, so, for instance, the technology I was talking about uh, with um, with sort of real-time multitasking, um, that's a technology platform. We think about it kind of like an Intel inside model, an Achilles inside model, where mm-hmm. we actually use that technology platform. We pipe that into our ADHD product, but we also pipe it into um, our products that are in depression. One of those depression products only uses that technology platform. So it is actually doing the same type of multitasking stimulation, and we're seeing functional and symptom benefits in depression. But we also have a depression product in development that's using that but some other emotional stimulation. Um, and so there might be differential effects there. So I think there's going to be across neurology, neuroscience, neuropsychiatry, I think there's going to be shared mechanisms, and then there are going to be um, bits or symptoms that are different. And so we're constantly trying to combine our, our technologies in a way that um, best optimizes for whatever patient we're going after. Interesting. And, and most of these things will be frontal cortex 
type of applications. Is that true? That's that's our bread and butter today. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but uh, when I talk about some of the emotional stuff we're developing, that's actually more uh, relevant to the amygdala, kind of deeper brain mm-hmm. um, structures, more basal emotional processing. So um, we're we're not going to go crazy. We don't think as a small company that we can um, treat everything in the world or measure everything in the world. We're going to be smart, but uh, frontal, we've spent a number of years in clinical research validating and, and we're in the process there. Um, and we will expand to other areas like, like emotional amygdala processing. We're going to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you that registration for the Digital Health Innovation Summit is now open. It's happening on November 30th in Boston. We've sold out the last two times, so please do not wait. Go to healthag.com to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Now let's get back into this conversation. So let's talk, let's talk about the product, ADHD product. So how long yeah. would somebody that, let's say, you know, one would be diagnosed with ADHD, there's Ritalin and other things I guess they could take pharmacologically, but let's say they went down the path to use your treatment. What is the amount of time that they would spend playing the game? What what is the game going to be like, you know, from an experience point of view? And then is it, is it, uh, uh, an ongoing treatment over years? Is it a short-term treatment that has permanent, um, mm-hmm. a, a permanent effect? Uh, give me a sense for sort of those, those type of dynamics. Sure. Sure. Um, the one thing that's going to be hard for me to talk about is exactly what the game's like. And, and the reason yep. is that, um, that, that product is in uh, blinded phase three clinical trial right now. So okay. we have to be, have to be careful and can't say too much about that uh, because we don't want to expose it. Um, but uh, what I can say is sort of how it's deployed, right? So this currently, um, this product, which again, looks like a game, but it is a medical device and it has these, these kind of um, deep algorithms underneath it. Uh, it's deployed on an iPad, no peripheral devices. So iPad, we also have it deployed on Galaxy tabs and on phones, but in our clinical trials, it's mostly iPad minis. Um, and uh, you don't need to plug anything into it. Um, it's sort of logged in. Interestingly, most of what I described sounds just like a drug. So a doc, you know, registers the patient, hands the patient an iPad. Patient goes home um, in most of the trials for four weeks and some of our trials for eight weeks and does roughly a daily dose of about half an hour. Um, and so they open this up. The algorithms allow it to adapt autonomously to the patient so that there doesn't need to be a a doctor or clinician in the loop to configure it, right? This has been one of the problems, I believe, in uh, medical devices historically, is that there's there's this kind of human uh, element that ends up being a pretty big barrier, right? Having to fit the device or constantly troubleshoot the device. In this case, it adapts autonomously. So the person's at home, loads it up every day, uh, takes a dose. Uh, the, the program locks them out after about half an hour. Um, so you can only get, you know, a, a certain dose each day. Um, and they're instructed to do about five days a week for, like I said, four or eight weeks, um, and then they come back to the clinic. And so in our clinical trials, which is an analogy for how it will work on the market, um, you know, they're, they're assessed at baseline on everything from cognitive function to symptoms, uh, and then they come back after four or eight weeks and they're assessed again, much like a doctor would at four or eight weeks in ADHD uh, with a Ritalin prescription, and, um, and we see how well they're doing. So to date... Um, with that protocol, and we haven't explored many, you know, all sorts of different dosing protocols, but with that general protocol, um, in our phase two open label trial in ADHD, we saw um, pretty strong attention uh, improvements, attention and, and um, impulsivity improvements. About a third of the children um, 
get into the what we call neurotypical range, right? So they, after a month, they on attention measures, they no longer look like ADHD children. They have um, sort of very, very focused attention and, and lowered impulsivity. Um, we also see functional benefits. Um, we the study that I was referencing just published showed that um, at at that four week mark, and then actually going out, uh, if you look even nine weeks. Um, on the symptom scales, the same type of symptom scales that docs use in the real world to track medication progress um, or medication efficacy, uh, we're seeing clinical meaningful benefits that are lasting uh, multiple months after the treatment. So, um, you know, it's a, a month or two dosing. Uh, we don't think it will last forever. Uh, we, we imagine the brain, like anything, will start to need more stimulation, um, but our early data would suggest we don't need to have someone on it chronically, which is, which is good. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great. So sort of a neuro, neuroscience question for you. So a lot of there, there's, there's, there's sort of this whole notion that a lot of things that ail us are, um, are treated through calming the mind, right? So there's a whole movement of meditation as sort of a self-healing mechanism for the brain. It sounds like your technology is sort of the opposite of calming the mind a little bit to me. It's like sort of like fire a lot of stimulus at, at, at the mind. Can you con- contrast those two ideas and, and, and where they're yeah, appropriate and where they're not? it's fascinating, and it's not as different as you think. There's, there's kind of a, um, there's a little bit of a of false uh, perception there. So, for instance, in meditation, what we know about meditation and mindfulness um, especially those who are sort of deep practitioners, it's actually not total relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who get into that and when it has effect, and it has been used, right? Meditation and mindfulness has been used with some uh, success in treating, um, for instance, anxiety disorders or mood disorders. Um, but people who get into it and, and real practitioners, it's actually, it, it's you want to bring down your sort of autonomic nervous system, but it's intense focus. Right. Um, and so people will tell you that, right? People who do deep meditation, it's hard for a reason, right? It's, sure. it's not hard for most of us to lay back and, and just kind of like, you know, take a deep breath. It's really hard to meditate because you're, you're having focused attention. So um, the goal is actually not much different. It's certainly a different sensory environment. That's where meditation is, is fundamentally different, right? When you're meditating, you're actually supposed to be in a, a non-sensory rich environment and ours, mm-hmm. you're sensory rich. But the end goal is actually very similar. It's focused, heightened attention, the ability to ward off distractions in your environment, to ward off internal distractions in your head. Um, and that's what we're doing. And the kind of fascinating part that really shocked us, uh, we've now seen in two published trials with our technology that um, the biggest neurological signal we get is this, um, it's called midline frontal theta, EEG signature, so it's electrical activity that is actually happening in the midline prefrontal cortex. So kind of if you touch, you know, you touch your forehead and you move, you know, a couple inches back in the middle of so the top of your head, um, there's a really punctate signal there that's happening a few hundred milliseconds after stimulus that re- strongly activates um, during and after using our device. That's the exact same signal that expert meditators um, elicit when they're meditating. So it's cool. kind of fascinating yeah. that you'd think that the environments couldn't be different, but the result might be very similar. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I've, I've meditated a few times in my life, and what really happens to you when you're meditating is you become unbelievably aware of how distracted you are, right? Yes. <laughs> because you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm supposed to be breathing, I'm supposed to focus on my breath, I'm supposed to calm down. And here I am thinking about everything, 
Like everything right. that I'm probably not aware I'm thinking about, I'm suddenly aware I'm thinking about. And you're just trying to turn off that stimulus. And I guess, yeah, it makes sense. The, there's got the eff- to be an effort to shut that down, right? Because that's a natural right. biological process. And, and I, th- I mean, I'm the worst meditator. I've tried many times. And it actually, you're, what you had uh, experienced is... Um, it you know can be hard and a turnoff, right? Because <laughs> you yeah. get into it and you go, oh my god, right. all these things I'm thinking about, forget about it. Right. I think about that all day long, right? right, right. I, I have thoughts constantly, especially when you're running a company, and um, <laughs> uh, so I turn it off. But the the interesting difference here, we think, especially for populations where that's hard to access, right? Like yeah. you know, it's hard to ask a ten year old child um, to get into that type of state. Um, but the on ramp to something that's a fun, exciting, rich environment. Um, we hope is is a more accessible way um, to get at some of the same types of neurological engagement. Yeah. Okay. So just a business question um, for sure. you. So like when I think about you know FDA approval, et cetera, right? You're really pursuing FDA approval a lot of times for medical devices because they're like invasive or they're sort of like there's risk to them of harm to the patient. So you've got to demonstrate that these actually have a clinical outcome despite the risk of harm. And, you know, think about stents and all this other stuff that we go to the FDA to get approved. Um, and when you think about going to get an FDA label, it, are you going to, and, and it's a controlled procedure in, on, on the one hand, but what you're doing is you're going to establish a claim. Will that then prohibit you from marketing the product to somebody that may want to self-medicate? Like, for example, I can self-medicate with meditation, right? And there's, yep. you know, I think of Headspace and companies like that that are pro- sure. promoting that. Where does the business model and the FDA approval come together for you? Yeah, I think what, everything you said is accurate. Um, we, we certainly measure and monitor safety. And in yeah. certain conditions, we do clinical research in like depression. That's very important. Um, although what we've seen is, is a very clean safety profile. So that you're right, our major focus is on efficacy and the label. Um, I think there is a fundamental difference. I don't know about the prohibitive nature of kind of consumer wellness. Um, so you, there are both RX and OTC paths at the FDA. Um, a great example of that in digital is a company I'm sure you know well, uh, WellDoc mm-hmm. um, in diabetes, and they've historically had RX products, and just this year they released um, OTC products. So uh, there, are, there are sort of, you can go down both paths. For us, the importance is in neurology, in related to the brain, um, we want to get to the patients that we can most help, and we want to do that in a strong and impactful way. There, uh, that happens through a doctor. That's what we fundamentally believe. Um, and so we think our business case, certainly on the early years in the market, uh, is about fitting into and then innovating within the medical system mm-hmm. um, as opposed to trying to have sort of a viral campaign where, you know, somehow we'll get ADHD patients who really need help, um, you know, downloading this on the consumer market. We want this to be real medicine. And for a doctor to prescribe something like this, uh, for the medical system to validate, for insurers to take it seriously, um, FDA is one of those steps. Clinical validation is really the big step. Um, so it's it's kind of not that you know we we think about a non FDA path as prohibitive or, or whatever. It's it's more that um, that fits with how we want to grow the business, which mm-hmm. is which is into medicine. Um, does that stop us in the future for if we don't feel like it's getting to the patients that it needs to? No, of course not. But this you know better than most, I'm sure. This digital health world has gotten filled with quite frankly a lot of noise, especially around the brain. It's a highly controversial area. 
Um, and and we think for all those reasons, you know, medicine and validated medicine is where we have to go. Very cool. Very cool. So we're, we're sort of up against our time limit here. Um, thank you very much for joining me. I, I'd love for you to be able to tell people how they can get a hold of you and how they can learn more about what you're doing. Are you a, are you tweeting? Do you have Facebook website, all sure, that good thanks. stuff? So how do people find you? Yeah, yeah. I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Um, right. So it's just at Eddie Martucci. Um, and so uh, I'm on there and it's uh Twitter's crazy these days with politics, but uh, but right. hopefully there's some good science and medicine in there still. Um, and then you can follow Achille at uh, www.achilleinteractive.com and hopefully um, track our progress. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of exciting clinical readouts out of the ne- over the next year or so, um, and and hoping that we can um, we can be delivering on our promise to ADHD patients uh, in the really near term. Terrific, Eddie. Thank you for joining me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. And that is a wrap. Eddie Martucci, thank you for joining us and for sharing Achilles' story. It's, uh, it's an excellent application of game technology and can't wait to see all that you're able to do. Steve Krupa, fine job leading this conversation. Thank you for being the host of the Breaking Health Podcast. Finally, thank you, Breaking Health Podcast listeners, for joining us. Do us a few favors, will you, please? Just uh, give us a ranking on iTunes. It'll help more people find the podcast. Tell more people about the podcast directly. Cut out the middleman altogether. Just uh, let your innovation-minded friends know about the Breaking Health Podcast. And finally, if you'd like, shoot me an email. My email is tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Let me know who we should be talking to, what we should be talking about. Or just email to say hello. I promise I will respond. And that's it. Remember, the Digital Health Innovation Summit is happening on November 30th in Boston. Registration is open. Go to healthag.com to register so we can see you in Boston. <laughs>